Hi, I'm John Murray, and you're listening to the NL Full-Time Podcast. Welcome to this week's NL Full-Time. I'm Luke Edwards, and it's fair to say we've got a packed team this week. Joining me as always, we have Rob Wobberell. Hello, Rob. Yeah, hi, Luke. Hi, guys. And also with us is Chris Pratt. Hello, Chris. Yeah, hi guys. And uh, Tom's back with us. Hello, Tom. Hi, everyone. And, uh, Until Dick... the baby starts crying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he might have to run off and do daddy daycare duties in a bit, but we'll uh, we'll let him off. Uh, and also with us it is Dickie. Hello, Dickie. Hi, good afternoon. Good to see you all. And a special guest this week with us, it's the BT's... We were just discussing this before we came on air. It's BT's newest member and youngest member of the National League team. It is Scott Doe. Hello, Scott. Hello, hi everyone. How are you all doing? Yeah, very, very yeah, good. well. Good. And uh, yeah, good. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. I mean, what it's been? A, it's been a first of all. It's been a fantastic uh, National League season, hasn't it? Yeah, honestly, it's it. You know, I know it sounds a bit cliche, but every year I've played in that league a lot of years, and it gets better every single year. Um, but this season, for me, just by like blows the others out of the water. I mean, they're just. I think Stockport being leaders now is something like the seventh or eighth different team to lead the league. Um, and I'm, I'm sure you probably heard in the game yesterday that this Stockport are six points clear and that is the biggest margin all season that someone's been clear, which is incredible because you normally get one team, you know, that kind of uh, break away a bit and it hasn't happened. And between them and probably down to about 10th position, it's so close. So it's good. And it still looks like it's going to be really good until the end of the season. We'll start at Stockport. As you say, they are top of the division. We'll come to Chris on this because obviously you were there, Chris, for the non-league paper and uh, only 1-0 against Woking. Was it as tough as it sounds for Stockport? Yeah, I, well, what I would say is that, that Woking were, were arguably the better team in the in the first half, uh, which, you, you know, Woking can do that. And I think the, the problem that, that County were having, uh, Scott Quigley wasn't on great form yesterday, but they were they were chipping balls into the area. And anyone who's seen Woking play know that their three centre-halves are about foot, a foot taller than anyone else in the whole National League. So yeah. Woking, yeah. Woking were just dealing with that. I mean, Musa Diara must be, what, about seven foot? <laughs> but mm. uh, they, yeah. were, they were just dealing with that. And in the second half, I think they worked that out and they started playing uh, a lot more on the floor. Um, I've got to say... The big turning point was the sending off of, of Liam Hogan. I spoke to both managers at the end and they agreed with that. Hogan, no one still knows why Liam Hogan was sent off. Not even not even the, the away team know why Scott Hogan was sent off. Um, everyone thought that Will Collar was the one running the, the danger because, I mean, he shouldn't have done it. He pushed, um, I think it was Jack Rolls over. And um, it looked like Will Collar might get, get, get a red card, but he didn't. And Liam Hogan got a red card for... Some at the fourth official scene in the in the melee, but that changed it. Um, it fired just under seven thousand in Edgeley Park up, and the atmosphere picked up. Ollie Crankshaw came on and, and was fantastic, really. And uh, Batman Ash Palmer again, he scored. Do you know what? Before we move on, I've got a mate who goes to to Edgeley Park and he puts money on Ash Palmer to score the first goal, and he's been doing it since Ash Palmer's been there almost, and he's definitely up. <laughs> yeah. uh, is it, is Scott would you say it's almost would you say it's Stockport's to lose now 
I think so. We've been saying about this a couple of weeks. I mentioned it on the show yesterday that I don't think it's a coincidence since since he's come back in as manager. It's just the, the form that they're in. I mean, they went for, I think they were ninth or 10th when he took over. And now they're six points clear. And for me, that, like you said, actually, uh, Chris, that win yesterday was actually just as impressive as when they won, been winning three, four, five nil, what they've been doing to teams. Because Woking are not a bad side. They got, um, like you said, Musa. I played with Musa at uh, Dover and he is massive. It's safe to say I just let him head everything. I just stood next to him. He, um, and then you've got Iniefiong, who was at Dover as well with me, and he's a real threat as well to any defence. Um, but they obviously they had the sending off, and we said it on the show as well. We 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 don't know. No one knows why he was sent off. Um, but to still get that one nil win, a clean sheet against ten with ten men, is um, is impressive. And I've, I was very impressed with with that result yesterday. Tom. Yeah, I think one thing that's uh, really noticeable about Stockport as well, they're the top scorers in the division, but they've only got one player who's uh, into double figures for league goals this season, um, which just shows you how well they're spreading the goals around the team. Um, and I think unlike sort of any of the other challenges, what, what that really proves is that it doesn't matter how you try and stop, stop Stockport. There's not one player you can try and stop to stop them playing, stop them scoring. They have the ability to hurt you from all over the pitch, um, as you know, as Ash Palmer proves consistently, Chris. Um and I think that's yeah, just really important in a time challenge. Yeah, and they've got such a deep squad as well. Um, one player who came on yesterday, Elliot Newby, around about 60 minutes, and he sort of changed the game as well because no one really notices him. He just sort of buzzes around. But when you think about it, he's he's, he's sort of linking up play in the final third and he makes such a, such a big difference when he, come, when he came on. But, I mean, it's, you know, County of Stockport have got 17, 18 players who would get straight into any other side in, in the division, I think. Just a very quick point, Luke, on uh, Challoner. Is that so, so recently guided a team, a good, a decent team in Hartlepool on a really long unbeaten run and, and to the playoffs and, and through. And, um, you know, coming back into the National League again so soon and inherited as good a squad as anyone's going to come in and, and, and inherit at this level. All he had to do really was was apply everything he knows, um, and and I think we knew Stockport had a really really strong squad at the start of the season. It's why Chris and it's why I predicted them to win the title. But as we as we hinted at two or three weeks ago, when they finally got back to the top, it actually ended up, you know, I, I probably, or rather two months ago, you probably wouldn't have predicted it again, would you? But then two and a half three months, whenever it was, Challoner came in. He has completely and utterly you know, just put all the bits in the right places and said, crack on. Yeah, and, and we're not, I mean, we haven't even mentioned the win in midweek since the last time we did a podcast as well against uh, Bromley, which was really, really impressive because, you know, Bromley are a lot of people's um, title picks um, at the start of the season or at least playoff picks, Luke. Um, all right, Chris, but, all right. <laughs> no, yeah. They went there and um, they don't score a huge amount of goals in the first half, Stockport, but in the second half, they, they tend to get the afterburners on and, and that's what they did on uh, Tuesday night as well. Scott, just on Woking as well, they're the only team outside of the bottom three to have lost the most games this season. Four out of five defeats that is now for them. And there's a lot of question marks over Alan Dowson as well. I mean, they've gone full-time for the first time in a while as well. Do you think it's kind of a, a bedding-in period for... 
uh, Alan Dowson and also uh, for this the model that they're going through at the minute because they are very inconsistent, aren't they? I, I think it is. Um, he, he he's a good manager, you know. I know he was at he was at Hampton before and done a good job there. Um, but obviously, in Effiong, he left us um, left over, and I know he actually said he wanted to go to Woking because they were going to full time and he wanted to stay in full time football. Um, but it, it that is something I would say takes a long period. Uh, take will take like a season to get used to them, especially if they've got. One, if they've got players that have been used to doing part-time training, but then also if they've got players that have um, getting players in that they want that are used to the full-time training. Because obviously Dawson was at Hampton and they wouldn't have been full-time. So it's about obviously getting those players in. And I know like Musa Diara, he was at, he was at Havant, um, he was at Dover and weren't full-time training as well. So I think so. And and it's just that it's that inconsistency Um that that is just going to be like the downfall for them in terms of that step, just getting into those playoffs, getting into those places. Um, like you said, they they win, they win a team. They beat they beat someone, one of the big guns, and then next week they're going to struggle to a a Kings Lynn or someone, you know. And and obviously that's what you can't do in this league, which Stockport certainly aren't doing. Well, Chris got up with Alan Dowson afterwards, and here's what he had to say. It was a great first half performance, and the, the second half the second half was just really open. No, oh, it was just um, I thought for sixty minutes we were excellent. I did, but when you play against, you know, you got the best manager in the league, and you got the best players in the league, and uh, when you play against them, you need to finish your chances. You know, the, the chances we had in the first half. Second half, I thought the worst thing happened getting somebody sent off because that lifted them. To be honest, they, they, they upped their game. Until then, we kept them quiet. When they scored the goal, it was their first corner of the game. So that tells you something. But the bottom line is, like, you know, when you play against these sides, uh, you've got to be, you know, we've just got to be trouble on it, you know. But yeah, there you go, it's football. Well, you preempted one of my questions because I was going to say it did sort of change. Well, why do you think that was? I think we had got, because I thought we had them quite on then. I thought we had got a bit rattled by it. I thought their fans started being a bit loud. I thought we had started to put more in. And, um, you know, football's like that. It's hard to break down 10 a lot of times. I thought. We were then trying to force passes, we were, and, um, and couldn't find a way through. And I thought, you know, and it doesn't matter, we, we, we shouldn't have got the corner in the first place, but conceding the corner, a bit heartbreaking, really. But we'll let it move, another day, we'll let it move on. Did you have any views on the sending off? Uh, I think he, he grabbed the knowledge. I'd like to see it again. When, when he, like, as a manager, you protect, protect your players, so you're just you're in the middle of it. You know, so, uh, did I say a lot of it? No, not really. Um, you know, um, so no, I didn't. You know, and that's not me trying to turn a brain eye. I'm just trying to protect the players at the time. Um, somebody said he grabbed him by the neck. The cameras will be here, so coming never lies. Yeah. And in terms of your season, I mean, you came very close to, to taking something off Stockport County today. What what are the aims from here? Yeah, well, if it, if effort comes like that, and we'll show that effort for 90 minutes instead of 60, then we'll be fine. Us, yeah, we're having a bit of a bad run of form at the minute, um, but it's up to us to turn around. Just just quickly before we move on, then Scott, in the Effion, you mentioned him before, and. Is he one of these frustratingly inconsistent players? Because I remember seeing him seeing Dover play against Halifax a couple of years ago, and I think he could hardly stay on his feet. And I said to these guys, "I'm like, wow, what's he doing at this level?" And then the next week, he went and got a hat trick against Stockport County. So, is he one of those that has you tearing your hair out? He actually does, honestly, yeah. he does. And, and, and you know, it's it, weirdly enough, you look at him and you think to yourself, he he relies on confidence. And if you are a manager, if you now have to deal with any you basically will need to tell him you're the best striker in the league. You're the best striker in the league. Tell him all this stuff that he needs to hear and then he will fire. 
And it is frustrating because you see what he can do. And obviously he got, I know one was a penalty, but he got the two goals against South End. And like you said, and then the next week, it'd be kind of like, like you said, a little bit like Bambi on ice falling over and, uh, and things bouncing off him and stuff like that. And it's frustrating because you know what he can do. He is not just, you don't see, I had funny enough, I had um, uh, the South End manager, I was speaking to him, uh, Kevin May, and was just saying that, you know, like he, he likes him. And he said, it, you don't see many tall strikers of his height and that that are as quick as what he is when he gets going. You know, he is really quick when he gets going as well, which is another thing he's got. But he just needs to be kind of like Woken himself. He just needs to be more consistent. And then I would like to think he would get his move. In second place behind Stockport is Chesterfield. It's been a funny old week again for Chesterfield. Kabango Shamanga confirmed as um, being out for several months. And they also had a bad injury yesterday as well to Jack McCourt. That's looking like a dislocated ankle, I think, was the uh, diagnosis after it. They were 2-0 up at home to Solihull Moors. Then Curtis Weston got sent off and Solihull Moors came back to win by three goals to two. And... Scott, it's been um, a weird up and down two or three weeks for Chesterfield, hasn't it? Yeah, very. Um, I I spoke to uh, one of my mates, Ollie Harfield, who plays the Weymouth, and um, he he kind of said to me about how it was terrible. Obviously, the injury to Shamanga, he said it was horrible to see. I know the player, obviously, it wasn't his fault, but who was involved was distraught. You know, it's obviously he was in a lot of pain, Shamanga, and and to be honest, you can't replace him. He's a top scorer for a reason. You can't replace him, but they can try, but they, they won't be able to. But it's been strange. And I think, obviously, it's it's sad to hear yesterday a similar injury to another player. Um, but I still think they were their own downfall yesterday. And to me, I touched on it. They This is the difference right now between them and Stockport. Stockport went 1-0 up. Stockport went, went down to 10 men, went 1-0 up and see the game out. Chesterfield went 2-0 up and I know Curtis really well and Curtis will know he should not be getting involved in that sort of stuff because you give the referee a decision to make and that was the turning point in the game because you're 2-0 up at home, you do not need to get involved in that, get sent off and then all of a sudden to a team like Solihull who are a good side as well and then obviously they've they've thrown it away and, and, and now it's gone to six points behind Stockport losing Shamanga and losing another player and then losing Curtis for however many games as well, their captain. So it's 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 gonna to be tough. Yeah, I saw um I saw Chesterfield fans bemoaning the ref and the injuries. I mean, is it a case of because they've been riding on a crest of a wave that, that frustration's maybe creeping in now a little bit, as you say, because they failed to go on and win the game on Saturday? I think so. I, I haven't seen I haven't seen the one from yesterday, but by all accounts, the one with Shamanga, it wasn't like it was a bad challenge. It was just one of those unfortunate ones. So I think it's quite quite harsh to blame the referee on it. I think, like you said, I think it's frustration from the fans because of what's happening and they're seeing what Stockport are doing. And I think it all started from, listen, it's not ideal. Paul Cook is a, is a fantastic appointment, but it's not ideal having your manager in, obviously Roe. Everything's going really well. Whatever's happened, happened. And he's now gone. Now that affects whatever. I don't care what club you are. That affects you, the players, fans. You don't know what's going on. They're all thinking, you know, they're kind of what's happened. He's all of a sudden left. 
and a new manager's come in. So, yeah, again, it's going to take a little bit of time for Paul Cook to get him up and running again. So I think it is, like you said, frustration from the Chesterfield fans' point of view. Just regarding Chesterfield, they, they, you know, there's a, 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 often hear players and managers saying, oh, we need to learn from this and, 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 and get better and move on. It's like Groundhog Day. I don't know how many times now that's happened this season where Chesterfield have, have been two up in a game. And then either because of a red card or even in a couple of cases mm. without a red card, got pegged back to 2-2. It happened at least a couple of times under James Rowe. It's happened recently again. And obviously those situations are really unfortunate and they do shake players up. I do appreciate that. But um, probably 2-0 up yesterday, as you just kind of hinted at, Scott, whatever adversity befalls you, from that point on, you've got to make yourself hard to beat, hard to break down, hard to score against, you know. Um, and uh, obviously, we didn't see the game, so we can't comment too much. But it just seems to happen too many times for me. Um, and, and it will be devastating for the fans because they literally looked like they had it all a month ago. One month ago, crest of a wave, the massive game at Chelsea, sat top of the league. They had a game in hand, I think, as well at the time. Um, maybe, maybe not over Borenwood, but um, yeah, it's it's and and I think Spyrites fans must wonder what it is that they've done because they they feel they're cursed. Like every everything bad happens to them, and then when they get on the crest of something good, it all goes. But hey, that's football as well, isn't it? Yeah, Chris, you were going to say. Yeah, I was just going to say that I know that no one from the Chesterfield management team came out at the end either to to speak to the press. And I think that was because they didn't want to potentially say something about the uh, the refereeing decisions in, in the game. But I also know that, I mean, from, from my side, and, and we're all sort of uh, journalists here, that's really really frustrating and it doesn't give the it doesn't give the the management team the opportunity to speak to the fans um and I know Paul Cook is you know he's a, he's a legend there for from what he's done he's come back and things like that but I think it that sort of thing just lets a bit of discontentment fester in in a way uh, so I thought that was a bit of a, an own goal from them yesterday the only thing I'd say as well on the Paul Cook thing is he's had Liam Richardson alongside him for all of his career now and he's obviously at Wigan now. and So I'm interested to see how that plays out because he didn't have Liam Richardson at Ipswich and didn't really work out from there. They always say never go back, but you look at John Sheridan at Oldham and he, he's gone back and done all right. So I'm sure we'll see how that all pans out. In the uh, the playoff spots, we've got Wrexham, Boreham and Notts County. Let's move on and look at Boreham Scott, I know you were at that game against Maidenhead for... BT and um, a really surprising result there in the end. Or did it surprise you? Do you know what the the? I don't think so. I think what's the the result didn't surprise me just because obviously looking into the game. I mean, Maidenhead have beat some serious sides at home. They've beat Halifax. They've beat Chesterfield. They've beat Bromley. They've drawn with Wrexham. And they've only, I mean, they're just a different side at home completely to away from home. But they, um, the only thing that surprised me is I, I did I did think it was possible at some point for what everything that's happened for Borenwood to hit a flat spot. Everyone's been talking about them. I mean, Luke has been on so many channels and radio things and talking about everything. And I, I rightly so, you know, it's amazing for the club. They beat Bournemouth. They haven't conceded a goal in the FA Cup. Um, obviously, they're going to Everton. They've got Kane Smith, who's obviously a, an Everton like boyhood fan. And I just, 
they I, I thought there might be a, a, a time where it kind of all flattens out and it's all but yesterday I was surprised at how much and in all honesty Luke said it after the game and I speak to Luke uh, Garrard quite a lot Maiden did a job on them a proper job and they did a job they actually kind of done what Boren would do to teams they got that goal frustrated them and they just they had a couple of chances um, they hit the bar in the first half and the keeper made a save but not much else really. They huffed and puffed, and I thought Maidenhead were were very worth uh, worth the win. To be fair to them, and and ironically, the two best chances for Boreham Wood came when the substitutes came on. It was Danilo Orsi yeah. and Adrian Clifton, who were both Clifton. former Maidenhead players, and yeah. of course the uh, the goalkeeper Tay Ashby Hammond as well uh, has played for Dev quite a lot. What I wanted to it's an obvious statement, but I want to try and get underneath it with you, Scott, if we can. Um, so Maidenhead were dropping down towards the relegation positions six, seven weeks ago, and, and we were debating who was in that fight. And I think Luke said to me, or to, to us all, he said, you know, do, are Maidenhead in serious trouble? Are they in that group? And I said, no, they won't be, because they'll go and back to back in a week, they'll go and beat two of the top sides or whatever. They literally went and did that two weeks later. But my question is to you, Scott, why is it that they can do that so consistently? Not just this season, other seasons. They love to bring down the big boys, but they end up in the bottom third of the table because they don't win enough points and enough games against the sides in and around them. Can you put your finger on why that is? The, the only the only thing I can think, and this is from just in terms of me when I was playing is when you're at home and you've got, I mean, they play, that. obviously, if you've been to Maidenhead, you see they got the slope and yesterday it was very windy. They play the conditions very well. And and Luke obviously mentioned that in his, uh, in his chat before the game. But I think it's just getting up. When when you've got, um, obviously, like Boreham Wood coming to town, obviously, the whole thing with the FA Cup, you've got Chesterfield coming to town, you've got Bromley, you've got Halifax. I think... It just instantly, they may have a group of players that it just gets you, they get up for that game so much. You don't need much to get up for that, you know. um, They were probably talking before the game, Devonshire, and he's probably thinking, we've got a big crowd coming in today, but he's probably thinking, listen, they've got all this FA Cup parade coming on. Let's go and spoil it. That's probably what a manager would be saying. Let's go and spoil it, you know, go out there. And it's what they've done and they keep doing it. But it's just those games in and around them, it's just um, they don't seem to win those games. And obviously they are the more important ones. But I just don't know if it's they maybe don't get up for those games as much because it's not the big sides. Or maybe it's because when you're playing a team around you, you have to take the initiative to them a bit more. Whereas where you're playing against the better sides, they're coming on to you, they're coming on to you and maybe they'd pick them off. And I think yeah. that's the only reasons why I think that they kind of um, they keep doing what they're doing and beating the big sides and not around them. Scott, are you? Uh, I know. Um, obviously, being based up here in the northwest, a couple of Stockport fans they feel that the biggest threat to Stockport is Boreham Wood. Would Would you go along with that? Or do you think the FA Cup might derail them? Uh, Put you on the spot so there, aren't I? <laughs> yeah. It's, you know what? I I think. I actually, I actually think that the, the FA Cup is is going to, as amazing it is, I think it's going to hinder them. And the reason why I say it is, as when I was a player, I always used to think, I don't want games in hand. I want points on the board. 
I, I, people say, you know, like Bournemouth got four games in hand. Doesn't matter. I want oh, points so we on have the this board. Debate. So you agree with points on the board first, then, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I go points on the board. Just and they're a small squad, aren't they? They're not a big squad. They're one of the no. smaller squads, so they won't be equipped to cope as well with three games a week. Exactly that, and it goes to. I mean, we had this when when I was at um, like Bournemouth, and we got to the playoff final against Tramir. And certain games that we struggled, it was squad depth. And they have a better squad depth now. They do have a better squad depth. But Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, they're going to be doing that for probably a month or so or a couple of months when the other team Stockport and that won't be doing that. And I think, like a few seasons in a row, Boreham Woods, they're up there, up there, up there. And then they've dropped out a little bit. And it is only because of that reason, just because of that squad depth and because of those games and handling all those games. And like we said, I mean, um, like Chris said, Stockport had Crankshaw coming off the bench. I mean, he's been incredible this season and he's coming off the bench for them. Um, and I just think it will hinder Boreham Woods. They will still be up there, definitely. I just, I'm just not sure if they will be able to compete and stay with Stockport and Chesterfield at the top. We'll look at Wrexham there in the playoff positions. They went away to Wealdstone. It looked like they were going to fall to defeat. They fell behind to a Reese Brown penalty. Then Jack Cook was sent off for Wealdstone four minutes from time and dramatic uh, scenes at with Wrexham grabbing an equaliser from Jordan Davis, which we'll get on to in a minute. And then Reese Hall-Johnson in the 95th minute, snatching the winner for Wrexham. But I'm going to bring Dickie in here. Dickie, should Jordan Davis's equaliser have been allowed? Well, uh, it's a, it's a fascinating question. It was something I didn't um, I actually saw raised on Twitter last night because Jordan Davis took the initial free kick and struck the crossbar, and because nobody else touched the ball in between him and getting the ball and putting it into the net at the second attempt. There is an argument that that's actually that should be an indirect free kick against Wrexham because the same players touched the ball twice with nobody else touching it, um, but. You know, it's a it's an academic point, isn't it? It's a, it's an interesting one, but it's an academic point because the goal was given. We said this morning as well about this. You don't really want to see goals chalked off um, for for things like that. But you know, strictly speaking, if it is the rules, it's the rules. But yeah, it it, it was the if it is a stroke of luck, Wrexham have had it, it got them back into it. I mean, I was looking yesterday afternoon. I could see the way the rest of the results were going. Wrexham go a goal behind and and you're looking at that point and thinking you know is this an afternoon where it starts to drift away from them you know almost I'm not talking about playoffs but you know I I think we can say that they're they're not you know going for the title now but even then you're starting to see it drift away from them and they get a stroke of luck get back into the game and then a 95th minute winner and, 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 you know, they're still on track. Scott, what do you make of that? What, what do you make of Wrexham? Have they been a bit underwhelming in your eyes? Or... I think so. Um, I mean, they've got, I know they went for a period with the, where they wasn't allowed the fans in, but obviously they've got a great fan base coming back with the new owners coming in. But I think that, that result yesterday is, is funny. That, <laughs> I think that, that free kick situation, uh, that might even that might even be so rare it happens in a game. The referee probably didn't even notice it himself because it doesn't happen that often. Um, it technically, it would have been a shame because the finish. I mean, to finish the ball how he did after that free kick was incredible. But I I do believe that that 
could well definitely turn their season in terms of sparking them because that is a, is a major comeback. And like you said, Notts County will win him. Um, and I think if they lost that game yesterday, we were saying that as the results coming in, I think there was a bit, there might have been a bit of pressure building on Phil Parkinson if they were lose if they lost away to Wildstone, um, because it's a game they should be winning. Um, but they, I, I think so far, they, I mean, they've brought in Palmer, uh, but I think they are, they should be achieving better than what they are in my, I think they should be up there with the, uh, the top team. So I think I would say they are underachieving, in my opinion. Just to add to that, if you just look at Stockport, Wrexham have got two games in hand over those. If we say that they did win them, they'd be six points behind Stockport. So I personally don't think Wrexham will win the title, but I don't think you can write them out of the title race, not with the resources that they've got. And the fact that, as Scott says, it hasn't really clicked. It hasn't really fired. Um, we had Joe Pope on the guest the other week who who watched the game at Torquay and Wrexham didn't really impress them at all that day. They were struggling. They were just lumping the ball up to Wally Palmer. But it could click. And if it clicks over these uh, remaining, uh, whatever it is, 17, 18 games, uh, they've got the resources that they could still ask questions there. I think Wrexham probably only get a serious crack at the title now if the Stockport juggernaut. No, no, that's fine. Everything that mm. I was going to say, um, I, I don't think you can write it, write them out of it. And even if, you know, Stockport only have to lose a couple and draw a couple or something like that, and then it opens up a whole new group of teams that we're not really talking about anymore. The Halifaxes, even your Solihulls and, and Bromleys. Um, so I don't, I don't think you can write any of those ones off just yet. Yeah, and just remember, I know, I know it's a different league, but everybody was handing the title to Manchester City three weeks ago. Yeah. Now, now with the win of their game, you know, Liverpool will be three points behind them. So even Manchester City, even a team that good, you know, can slip up, lose a couple of games, draw a couple. And that's the beauty of the three points for a win and only one for a draw, because good teams, when they don't win, they often find a way not to get beat. But these days, if you're one of the very best teams, you're competing for titles draws are almost like losses. In terms of Wheelstone, Tom, I mean, to me, they're having a pretty good season. Yeah, I think they are. I think um, they've, they've used the loan market very well. I think uh, they've used it in some key positions where it's difficult to find the quality that you'd want to keep you up in the National League. Goalkeepers, centre-backs, those things that you, you build a season on as opposed to winning matches with, i.e. strikers. Uh, the things you build a season on are hard to find. Um, and so they've looked at you know, they've got clearly got a good relationship with Fulham. They've got George Wickens and Conor McAvoy in, both very good players. Um, and then they've used them well. Um, they've also not been not been afraid to sort of let people move on as well. Um, you know, the likes of Conor Stevens has been such a big player for them for a number of seasons, but they've not been afraid to move on and try and develop. Um, interesting to see how Nathan Ferguson gets on for them as well. I think that's a good signing. They they do like to have one mercurial type player in with them, as we've seen with like Ryan Gondo in the past, Craig Fassan-Made, who's just gone to Hemel. Um, so yeah, I think they they have done quite well. Um, I don't I don't think they are really in any danger of going down, are they? And uh, if you'd given them that option in August, I think they'd probably have taken it. Yeah, and there's a big battle between Stockport and Wrexham. Wrexham go to Stockport one week before the end of the regular season. So Notts County are just outside the playoffs. They got a 2-0 win thanks to Cal Roberts and Kyle Wharton. And, and Notts County, um, they're still there or thereabouts, aren't they, Scott? Notts County are all, although obviously there would have been people that would have maybe, you know, had them down to win the league. Um, they've, they're a little bit of a dark horse going about their business um, quite quietly. But 
we covered their I covered their BT game against Dagnum and Redbridge at Notts County and they ended up just overpowering them to be honest um and with Rodriguez Roberts uh Wooten who scores a lot of home goals um I think they're, they're yet yeah, like we said with Wrexham uh, you definitely can't um cancel them out of the title race and and it will happen. I know just quickly we were saying about Stockport and like you said about the Man City, they will have a they will have a slip up. It happens to everyone. It's just how they obviously deal with it and how long it goes on for. And that will allow other teams like Notts County, Halifax, um, if they keep chipping away, but they'll definitely um be up there come the end of the season. They look they look like a good side. Rob, I know uh, Eastley, they're um they're without a manager still at the moment. It doesn't seem to be a rush, does there? No, I think we've been keeping a close eye on that situation. And um, one of the sure telltale signs is when you see what happened in the uh, in the week. Two of their better quality players, Josh Hare, has gone to Dagenham. And Tom Whelan has actually gone back now to Chesterfield. Uh, when I say back, he, he, he wasn't on loan or anything, but he's gone back to the club that he was he was at before. So... It's um, a little bit worrying. They haven't appointed a manager and it looks to me like they're cost-cutting, um, maybe gambling on the fact that they're safe. But um, I think there's probably, especially when you see the little sparks of form that Kings Lynn and Weymouth are getting, I don't know if they are quite mathematically, well, they're certainly not mathematically safe yet. And that looks a bit of a risky strategy. You also don't want to, are you potentially going to alienate your supporters as well? Why are they going to bother turning up other than the season ticket holders if it looks like you've pretty much thrown the towel in? I don't know if other people have seen it like that. Scott, have you have you heard anything? I mean, that's quite significant, isn't it, when, when two of their better five or six players suddenly are offloaded? Yeah, um, it, it is a strange one, actually, because I, I actually thought it was... I know there wasn't... Um, you know, massive looking like they were going to get plows or whatever. I, I I know Ben Strevens really well. Um, I played with him when I was at Dagnam and I, I thought he was doing a good job. But one thing I do find strange is normally, you know, when a manager goes, um, i.e. like Chesterfield, you normally hear like, oh yeah, he's in for it. He's in for it. I haven't heard nothing, literally nothing. And let's be honest, it's, it, it's a, it'd be a good appointment. I mean, a club is going in, a manager will go into a club that are in the national league. Um, and I haven't heard any rumours of any managers at all, which is a bit worrying. Um, and like you said, with those two players leaving as well, it does seem that way. And it seems like they're thinking, you know, if we can uh, just get enough wins to keep us safe and it'd just be a, you know, another kind of season that will plateau out. And it's not good, like you said, for the supporters. It's not because it's um, it doesn't really show, you know, you're trying to achieve much and, and like you said as well, it is worrying because Kings Lynn, Weymouth picked up a win against Eastleigh, funnily, didn't they? Um, 1-0. And then Kings Lynn, if they do as well, they, they could could be in trouble, um, especially with Josh Hare, like you said, just going to Dagnum as well and wheeling back to Chesterfield. So I think it's slightly worrying times for them. And I have not heard anything on the manager front, which is also a bit worrying for me, I would say. Just quickly then, Scott, obviously uh, down at the bottom, do you think, can you see any way out for the likes of Kingsland or Weymouth, is it between those two to go down with Dover, do you think? Yeah, obviously, you know, Dover are, are, are done. And yet another manager I speak to quite a lot, Andy Hessentyler, because I was at Dover. To be honest with you, I think he's done brilliant considering it would have been so easy um, 
for them to just throw the towel in, you know, minus whatever they were at the start of the season. And and they've still still kept battling on. And funny enough, got their first win against Eastley as well, which is another thing that's not great for Eastley. And obviously that was when Ben Strevens went. Um, I don't think so. Uh, as much as I know the new manager's gone in at Weymouth and they picked up the win the other day, I can't see them two getting out of it. Um, if someone did, I think Weymouth. I don't think Kinslin will. But I just think for what we spoke about earlier, the teams that are above, I mean, Wildstone, you look at Wildstone, you think they can pick a result up somewhere, which they have done before. A little bit of giant killers at times. Maidenheads, 100% when they play at home, they win more than enough home games to stay up. Um, and then obviously, yeah, Eastley is uh, the one team I do worry about in their current situation, but it is a fair gap. I think it's nine points to Weymouth to uh, Maidenhead, uh, which is obviously, you know, three wins yourself, but obviously three losses for someone else, which is quite a lot. So I don't see it changing much down there, to be honest with you. Um, but like we just said then, Eastley is the only team that slightly worried me with the way that things are going and no manager appointment and letting their better players go. Yeah, they're still 14th Eastley at the moment, but um, that can be a little bit, that could fool you. If you look at the gap in points between 14th and 20th, it's only three. And the way the likes of, of Maidenhead and, and, and Barnet and Wilston and Aldershot and Woking and Altringham, the way they're scrapping to try and get every single point that they can, the way it's going at the minute, within probably a week or two from now, Eastley could easily find themselves in 20th position, um, you know, with, with some of those teams even just getting a draw or an, an odd win. So, um, yeah, if you're Weymouth, you've still got to believe. You have to believe. And, and even if you're Kings Lynn, you've got to believe. But Kings Lynn have picked up 15 points in 26 games. Um, so that means what we got this year, 44 games. Yeah, they've got 18 games left um, and, and, and they'd have to double their current points tally just to get level with where Maidenhead are now. I think logically, I think Kings Lynn are going to really, really struggle. They need a, a lot of miracles. Weymouth, you can't quite write off just yet, but you wouldn't want that gap to get any bigger than nine points for them. No. Just to talk on managerial appointments, Dean Brennan's been confirmed full-time at Barnet. They they were 2-0 down at Torquay to Conor Lemahay. Evans' goals had Torquay 2-0 up, but they fought back through Adam Marriott and Epper Mason-Clark. Quickly, Scott, what, what do you make of that appointment? Dean Brennan's done a good job, steadied the ship since he's gone in. Yeah, he has. Um, I mean, that was a, a very good point the other day as well um, at Torquay because Torquay have been in, in fine form themselves under Gary Johnson. But yeah, he's done a good job. And and the only thing I'm a little bit surprised about is it's actually taken this long for him to be confirmed as manager because I know when he first went in, uh, we covered we covered their game against Aldershot and they won 2-1. And he'd done, I mean, his, his first, uh, I think it was like seven or eight games, he won the majority of them and proper turned them around there. So I was surprised it didn't get announced before. Um, but... I could see it coming. He's done a very good job there. Like you said, he's steadied the ship, um, which is good to see because obviously Barnet is another another very big club in in the league. And I hope I hope that he kind of um kind of gets them back where they belong and 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 with the whole fan base again as well. Um, you know, getting the getting the fans back in and stuff like that. Um 
but he's done a good job and they've had a little bit of up and down form lately. But that point at Torquay from 2-0 down was a very good one. Like I said, against the Torquay side that are doing really well at the moment. What type of manager is he, Scott? So he is, right? He's a very, um, very, he gets, he's all about getting everyone together, everyone together, everyone on side. Um, and he, he, I actually, I really like the way he works. So he will, he, he, he bases a lot of stuff for, you know, like on incentives and stuff. So just as examples, it could be, right, boys, we got five games coming up, obviously possible 15 points. If we get, 10 points I'll give you a couple of days off if we get 12 points I'll give you a few days off and stuff like that and he was uh I was talking to him like I said after that Aldershot game and it was something that was really working because obviously the form was turning around and he is just big very big um there's some managers you know who are more tactical um I would say like Luke Garrard Luke Garrard's a very tactical manager goes um in detail um and dean is a very getting everyone together squad together everyone all as one um and taking it onto the pitch sort of thing and it's obviously working you know he's turned it around they weren't in a great position they've picked up some good results um and yeah they're doing well and and i hope they continue to pick up for him as well um and get to the higher end of the table scott i was looking at your uh, playing history and you played mm. for, I think it's four of the current National League sides, um, but you did play almost 250 games at Dagenham. When you, when we go, Scott, though, what is your team? I mean, who did you support uh, as a kid or whatever? Who, who is your team? And, and, and of the teams in the National League, do you still think as Dagenham is your team? Yeah, so originally I was, I was born in Reading. So my team growing up was uh, was Reading when I was growing up. Um, I actually moved to like the Dagenham area when I was about 19. And I've been living in that area ever since to sign for Dagenham. I left um, I left Weymouth when Weymouth were originally in the uh, the conference, the National League. And I went to Dagenham in the Football League. Um, but yeah, I would say so. Um, I mean... I had obviously for all different reasons, fantastic times at all the clubs, um, Dagenham, Bournemouth, Dover and Weymouth. Um, but I would say my, yeah, the club that I obviously had the most time and, um, associate myself with most is Dagenham. Um, I mean, we got, we had the promotion from league two to league one at the playoff final, uh, in 2010. And obviously I was under John Steele for a long time there. He was my manager for about a good six, seven seasons. Um, and yeah, I played the majority there. I played quite a lot of, um, quite a lot of games at Dagenham. And I would say that is the club. I, you know, I had the the final we lost in the, the National League final for Boreham against Tramir. Um, but Dagenham is the club that I mainly associate myself with and obviously spent the most time and had some fantastic years there. Um, and, and yet again, a club that I I really want to see do well in the National League and I would love to see them get back into the Football League themselves. Brilliant. Well, thanks ever so much for uh, for, for your time and joining us, Scott. You, you join a, a long line now, a tr- tradition of BT Sport pundits and presenters coming on and and, and joining us. Scott, thanks for joining us. It's been uh, been an absolute pleasure. No worries. Thanks a lot. Uh, my pleasure. Um, yeah, it's been, been really interesting. Obviously, a good chat and... And good to speak about, obviously, a number of the different clubs in the league and what have you. So really good. Thank you very much. 
If you see somebody showing any of the signs of a stroke, you don't have to think about it. You just dial 999. Use the FAST test. F. Face. Has their face fallen on one side? Can they smile? A. Arms. Can they raise both arms and keep them there? S. Speech. Is their speech slurred? T. Time. Time to call 999 if you see any one of these signs. Act fast. Make the call. Dial 999. Let's move on and look at the National League South. And at the top, it was Dorking. They took on Chelmsford. And I know it's a game that uh, you're asked to cover, Rob, with Aldershot not playing. Yeah, I was due to actually go to Medibank for the first time. And I, I, I'm excited to make that trip when I can. Unfortunately, there's too much train disruption for me to get from mine to the one there. But uh, I did follow it closely. And uh, I watched uh, a live commentary the game so I didn't see it with my own eyes but uh, what what I heard was a very quick and strong start from Dorking uh, they got themselves ahead after just four minutes uh, Briggs 10th goal of the season and I think he as a player provided he does step up and this is what I want to throw to Tom on in a sec Let, I'm, I'm not assuming anything with Dorking they're in the best position they have a great chance to go on and win the title they won that game 2-0 yesterday. Chelmsford asked a lot of questions in the middle of the game, by the way. But my, my talking point from it is this, Tom. Dorking have an excellent chance of going up, either automatically or via the playoffs this season. If they do, it's going to be quite a challenge to go up another level and compete in what is a more competitive National League than ever. They're going to have to address the question, do they go full-time or not? And I don't know, Mark White might have already been quoted on what he's going to do but in that situation. But what do you think? Do you think they should go in and you know, be us against the world with a strong part-time side for the first season? Or do you think that they're going to have to go for the full-time model? What do you reckon? I think it's a difficult one. Um, I think Woking showed that there is mileage in having the best uh, part-time players in your region playing for you. Uh, I think it can be work. It can work. It can be done well, especially if you don't necessarily have the budget to complete compete for the best full-time players. Um, what Mark White has always done very, very well is get promoted and then assess. You know, you'll never see Dorking challenge for promotion their first season. They don't throw the budget at it. They don't throw money at bringing in all the players they think can take them to the top straight away. Uh, they come in. They make one or two clever adjustments and consolidate for at least one or two seasons. Um, and I fully expect them to do that again. Um, like, let's, let's be clear about this. It would be a travesty if Dorking don't go up. They're the best team in the league. Um, the two best teams I've seen in this division are Dorking and Ebbsfleet. Ebbsfleet, when they have the opportunity to play their way, will rip teams to shreds. Dorking can play every other team's style and they can do it better than them. Um, that's why Dorking are the best team in this division. And, that, and that's why I think they'll do well. Um, the, I think the two talking points for Dorking will be age so some of their really key players are getting older now uh, the likes of Barry Fuller the likes of Wes Fogden they bring so much experience from their careers um, and but there obviously is a, a you know a time stamp on that um, and then the other factor is the likes of Matt Briggs so Matt Briggs for my money is the best player in the division um, I think he's a fantastic winger has been for a few seasons but you know it's the old Josh Casey problem he has a very good job um, would he be willing to to take that step up to go to a national league tilt and play on a national level? Um, Jason Pryor is another example. He he turned down the chance to do that with Haven, and that's how Dorking managed to pick him up. He didn't want to play at national league level. He didn't want that travel. 
Um, whether or not that calculation has changed, I think that that'll be the challenge. But I feel they'd be best placed sticking part-time, consolidating, and then maybe looking to adjust once they know they can compete. And two quick further points on the Dawkins situation. Uh, number one, a little bit of a concern yesterday, Alfie Rutherford limping off towards the end. It might just have been cramped, but uh, even after a bit of tension from the physio, he kind of limped off a little bit. So there's a suspicion of a, maybe a, a hamstring tweak there with Alfie Rutherford. And the other point I wanted to make, just is to confirm to the listeners that in two weeks' time, two weeks today, um, the Dorking manager, Mark White, will be coming on to join us on the NL Full-Time Podcast. He will probably give you a much better answer to that question than I did. Bacon knew that. And he also missed his first game, is it since he became Dorking manager? I'm not sure. Uh, I think it's in 10 years. And if 10 years is what, how long he's been in charge of Dorking, then that's it. Yeah, I th- uh, I think um, I think it, it it kind of is out there, so I don't think I'm breaking any sort of secrecies with this. That uh, his very best friend, I don't know who that is, but his best friend got married, um, and uh, I said if he was a true best friend, he'd have got married in June or July, wouldn't he? But uh, but no, he uh, he 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 left uh, Dean Milton in charge, and, and and Milton did a fine job with the rest of the management team on Saturday, and. Uh, uh, and, and got three points out of that tricky-looking game with Chelsea, who we haven't particularly talked about, but I just want to say for them, congratulations on just one defeat in 12 and, and really turning around their season at Chelmsford um, after what, for their standard, was a pretty woeful start. So Maidstone and Dart for the second and third, Tom, both in really good at runs of form, beat in, in the last five. In fact, they've won the last five. Maidstone had a hard-fought Two-one win over Oxford City. Both sides, both sides had a man sent off, and Dartford they beat Bath by two goals to nil. Yeah, so Maidstone, I think um, that you know they're obviously the closest tied to Dorking um, in the league. Uh, I think they, I don't think they'll catch them, but I think they are the strongest, uh, the strongest squad around at the moment. Um, and, and when I say strong, I mean physically strong. They're a very physically dominant team. Um, you know, you see the players that scored yesterday. Joanne Luque is a very, very uh, able athletic player. Um, also a very good footballer. Joe Aylul is, you know, he absolutely epitomises what made uh, are as a team at the moment. Um, physical, dominant, not afraid of the challenge um, and also capable of playing at this level. So, yeah, good side. Um, and Dartford, um, you know, we spoke about them last time I was on, uh, I think after Hampton and Richmond had just drawn with them and they were in a really rough spell. Uh, a lot of people were questioning how, uh, how how the club was being run. Um, they just sold Noor Hussein to Southend United. So, you know, since then they've they've gone from strength to strength. Really, they've they've used the loan market well. They've brought in the likes of Marcus Denanga from Altrincham. They've brought in Junior Roberts, uh, Corey Roberts from Bromley. Um, they've used Steve King's connections with Queens Park Rangers well to bring in two of their young players. I actually bumped into him down there at. Uh, QPR's under-23 match once um, when he was scouting players. So no surprise to see him picking up players from QPR. Um, and yeah, they've, they've gone, they've, they're playing again how you would expect them to play, to be honest. Uh, so yeah, storming up the form table and the actual table. Just a quick footnote on the Maidstone thing. Uh, Maidstone play Dorking next Saturday. So first against second. And, uh, and it'd be interesting to see Tom just how they do square up against Dorking. Uh, in a game that, of course, is not a must-win for Dorking, uh, you could argue that with a three-point difference, 
Um, a draw keeps the distance between them, but Dorkin will be looking to win it for sure. Oxford City are in fourth, even though they lost at Maidstone. Hacken Hayretton was full of praise for Oxford City, and he, he seems to think that they won't go away from those playoff positions. No, they won't. Um, and they've ridden the uh, the loss of David Oldfield really well. Um, you know, I was surprised to see that they they managed to cope with him going as easily as they did. Um, it's a really interesting one, like this league, is that those three teams that, that you talk about, I mean, I, I've not been impressed with Dartford when I've seen them, but also the team that's taken the field for Dartford now is totally different to the one I saw. But outside Dorking, MSV and probably Mason, there's no one in this league that I really think is that good. Uh, you know, they're all fine teams, but they're all, any one of them could drop out of the playoffs, any one of them could come into the playoffs. You know, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised to see Oxford finish third, but I also wouldn't be surprised to see them finish 13th. And that goes for anyone in that sort of 10 spots as well. Um, I don't think they'll drop away. Um, but also, I, you know, I think, for example, Eastbourne Borough, I, I think Eastbourne Borough will, will finish strongly. They've been doing really well recently. Um, you know, as, as long as Yakovanius keeps scoring, um, Oxford will keep doing well. There was also one of those things in the match which I absolutely hate, which is when a player gets a red card in the 90th minute for the team that loses, which makes the result look not quite as impressive for the team that wins. Hmm. Um, as Harvey Bradbury picked up a, a red, a 90th minute red for Oxford yesterday. And, and so, Tom, just to now, just to narrow it down, are you are you kind of saying with that as well? Are you inferring? that the National League South title race is between three teams? Uh, or do you or do you still think Ebbsfleet, with a game in hand that might put them 10 points behind, is it too soon to write them off? No, I don't think Ebbsfleet will be in the title race. Um, I just think that on their day, they are, they are with talking the best actual team, footballing team in the league. Um, it's just, you know, they need the right conditions to play. They need to have to get the ball down on the play, on the pitch, and play through teams. If they can't do that, then they struggle. Whereas Dorking and Maidstone will will win the fight first and foremost. Um, so yeah, I think I think it's Dorking's league to lose, but I think it would be Maidstone that will pick up the pieces if they do. A massive ball for Maidstone next week because if they do go to Dorking and pull off a win, they'll be level on points and have a game in hand. They'll they'll actually take control of their own destiny. But. Uh, yeah, if, if there's one game in the National League South that uh, I'd, I'd really love to to watch, it would be uh, it would be next Saturday. But uh, hopefully, uh, weather allowing and uh, storms and trains and everything else, I'll be up at Wrexham watching all the show. Nice. And also, don't forget this league, I, I, like no other league, and also not like I've seen in this league before. The shock results come thick and fast as well. Um, Tunbridge went and beat Dorking three uh, one ten days ago. To do the double. Exactly. And the only loss that Dorking have had in nearly three months. Um, You just can't legislate for that. But those results seem to be happening every single week to at least one of those teams at the top. In fifth, sixth and seventh are Ebsfleet, Chippenham and Eastbourne. None of them won. Chippenham and Eastbourne both faced each other and uh, drew in the end, one all. Uh, Dulwich Hamlet are also in the playoffs. They do nil-nil with St. Albans. And Ebsfleet, they, you, you mentioned about them, Tom, on, on the day they can be very good, but equally teams can uh, work them out and haven't got a much-needed win. They beat Ebsfleet by four goals to two. Yes, um, as you say, much needed. Um, if I'm totally honest, that it feels to me like a 
Paul Doswell's having almost like a last throw of the dice of trying to make things work. Haven't um, it hasn't gone well there for him. Um, whether that's more on him or more on the club, I don't know. But he's brought in, I think, five players in the last week um, and shipped a few out as well. Um, but they're good signings too. Stefan Payne from Chesterfield, Sam Smart from Eastleigh, Alfie Whittingham, this time actually from Oldershot, and uh, Manny Duku from Inverness Caledonian Thistle. Well, Payne scored twice already. Duku scored yesterday. Um, it looks like he's brought in a lot more firepower. Um, and if I want to say just that they're, they're more accomplished players than some of the players that, that they're replacing. Um, and that was a really important win for, uh, for Haven because uh, before that it was, at, well, my screen only shows the last 10 matches. So it was at least nine games since they'd won. Uh, and along the way that included an 8-0 loss to Dorking. So yeah, really important victory for them yesterday. Yeah, apologies, Chippenham are just outside the playoff places. As I say, they did draw 1-1 with Eastbourne. Uh, Welling are down there as are Braintree. And I know, Tom, you, you've been going on about Braintree and, and you think they'll get out of it because of uh, you, you saw them against Hampton and were really impressed with them. And, and they got a win against Hungerford. They've been going well this season. Yeah, they did. And, um, you know, I'm not, not saying that... Uh, Danny Robinson's copying me or anything, but he said much the same after that match that, you know, Braintree will not be in trouble. Um, they're a good outfit. They're a combative outfit. Um, it was a Camille Conte goal for them. They got a win against Hungerford yesterday. Uh, and I just think they'll be fine. Um, realistically, I think any of the teams from probably 16th, which is Hampton down, could get sucked in now. Mm. Um, but, you know, Billericay are probably still just about the worst side as well. Um, so them being at the bottom is unlikely to change. Well, well, we'll talking see, of Hampton, we'll see that. I'll see about that, won't we? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Talking of Hampton and Richmond, Tom, the one game in the National League South, despite the storm battering, uh, credit to all the National League South clubs that got their games on. The one that didn't survive yesterday, tell us about that one. Uh, what happened? It was uh, uh, a bit of a last minute thing, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was super frustrating as well. Um, I think, uh, you know, I arrived at the ground at about half past 12, same sort of time as the players were arriving from both teams. The referee turned up at quarter to two, um, which I thought was quite poor in the first place. Um, and I, you know, Generally, I'm not one to criticise referees. Uh, they make mistakes on the pitch the same as everyone else, but that was just that seemed like just poor prep to me. He then okayed the pitch at 2pm and then following further rain, waited until quarters of three to call the game off, um, which was a bit of a joke for the players for the fans who travel from Tunbridge, for the fans who travel from Hampton. Um, you know, at two o'clock, the pitch was borderline playable and the forecast made it quite clear that we were just going to get solid rain for the next hour. Um, so if you're going to call it off, that felt like the time to do it. So a bit frustrating, um, especially as, as always happens, literally as soon as he called the game off, the sun came out and then didn't stop shining for the rest of the day. Um, but you, you know you can't predict that, can you? Um, <laughs> I think before you know before we wrap up this league as well, I, I really want to say a word for Hemel as well. Mm. Uh, Hemel were a side who I thought looked in quite a lot of trouble at the start of the season, um, not sort of relegation trouble because only one team's going down, but they didn't look like a team that knew what they were or how they wanted to play. Um, but the second half of the season, they really have just gone from strength to strength. Um, they're only four points off the playoffs, and. Uh, you know, they've made some very astute signings. Uh, Charlie Hughes has come in, um, scored six goals since he's been here and really helped propel them up the table. 
They've also signed Craig Fessamade from uh, Wilston. You know, what a footballer he is. Broke through at Hungerford last season. Um, went to Wilston when sort of the National League South uh, was was called off for COVID. Um, and he is a very, very good uh, forward player at this level. Yeah, he got two, didn't he, as well, against Concord as they won by three goals to one. He did, yeah. A good result, that, because Concord, again, uh, are not a bad side this season. Two teams that have flattered to deceive a little bit at times this season. And a massive opportunity to secure a, a you know, playoff uh, position yesterday was uh, Dulwich, Hamlet and, and St Albanson. And they played out a nil-nil. Um, it's a question of what, you know, what might have been for those two teams at the moment, isn't it? They're, they're, they're definitely in the hunt for the playoffs, but uh, um, you wouldn't bank on them both making it, Tom, would you? No, you wouldn't. I mean, if I'm totally honest, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put bets on anyone to make the playoffs because it is just that competitive this season. And and so many people keep like you know they have that sort of three four game really good run, and then a three game run of absolute dross. Um, Dulwich have been consistently inconsistent for about three seasons now. Um, but I think for St Albans, for them not to make the playoffs after the start they had would be a really disappointing way to finish the season. Yeah, they do have a couple of games in hand, don't they? But um, we should have to see how that all pans out. Sorry, Luke, I've took over no. chatting away. To, no, don't worry. It's so, it's so good having Tom mm. on and it's <laughs> nice to pick his brains about the, the National League South. I'll shut up and let you go on with the hosting now, mate. No, I was just going to say... Uh... Thanks a lot, Tom. I know you got a rush off now, but it's it's been good getting an insight into the National League South. It's probably what is the most, along with the National League, the most exciting division at the minute, isn't it? Because it's so tight at the bottom, so tight at the top in playoffs. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's fast. It's been it's been an absolutely fascinating season. I mean, it was certainly more interesting than the National League North yesterday. Let's put it like that. Oh, well, we'll get onto that in a minute because normally Dickie round, Dickie's roundup of the National League North is good, but we might as well just play some tumbleweed, might we, Dicky? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, blowing along at quite a speed as well, I would have thought. But uh, yeah, it was a quiet day in the National League North yesterday. Yeah, yeah we can even talk about on with that. Um, I'm, I'm going to have to disappear, but uh, really nice to chat to you again. Hopefully be not too long before I'm back on. Cheers, Tom. Cheers, Tom. In the National League North. Four games started, only three finished. There was a, a really bad injury to, to Matt Preston, the kid Minster Harriers, wasn't there, early on in their game against Alfredson? Yeah, there was. Yeah, there was only um, about 10 minutes of the game gone when uh, Matt Preston was involved in a, uh, a challenge with, I think it's Dom Smith from uh, Alfredson. And yeah, he suffered a, a, a pretty serious injury. I've seen photographs from... Um, Matt Preston's hospital bed today. He said he's had his first surgery, which implies that he's going to need to have further surgery. I'm not exactly sure of the extent of his injury, other than to say it's bad. You know, he's not going to be playing football again this season. He's on loan to Kidderminster from Solihull Moors. And, and you know, only two weeks ago, he was absolutely outstanding in that Kidderminster against West Ham United FA Cup tie. Um, and two weeks later, he's, he's in a hospital bed having had surgery. And it just... You know, it shows you how things can change. Um, you know, I don't think from reading of the incident yesterday, I think some Kidderminster fans aren't particularly happy with the challenge from Smith. I think some Alfredson fans don't necessarily feel that it was as bad as it's been painted. It's really hard to know. But but the, the, the main thing is, is Matt Preston's um, health and well-being. The game was abandoned. I think he'd been treated on the pitch for for a number of minutes before um, 
they are actually able to stretch him off. And I think the referee spoke to both sides and, and neither felt they were really in a frame of mind to continue. I think some of the Kidderminster players were pretty upset by what they'd seen. Um, and so, yeah, the, 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 the game was abandoned. Yeah, well, we send all our best wishes to uh, to Matt Preston there. The big game of the day was probably up in the northeast, and a, a big win for Gateshead against Spennymoor. Yeah, it was. This was one that um, avoided the weather. That uh, obviously the weather came in from the southwest and and the northeast probably avoided the the, the worst of it, um, which meant. This game did go ahead. It was uh, Spennymoor Town who had the lead through Glenn Taylor. Penalty after just 16 minutes, but uh, Macaulay Langstaff equalised before half-time. And then Adam Campbell, 10 minutes into the second half, made this point safe for Gateshead. So they've now got a three-point lead over Brackley at the top. Brackley are inactive yesterday. Their game called off. Yeah, they were supposed to be away at Curzon Ashton. Surprisingly, uh, a game in the southwest region, uh, Gloucester, they went ahead. I know they got a 3G pitch, but they avoided all the storm damage clearly and they took on Darlington. Yeah, this might have been one that you, you would have expected or, or felt might not have gone ahead. But as you say, it is an artificial pitch at, at New Meadow Park. Um, and this game went ahead and, and Gloucester were looking good for the points uh, at various points during this game, which would have been a real big boost to them, would have extended their, uh, the, the gap over the, the bottom two at uh, the bottom of the table. Matt McClure had them in the lead early in the second half. Danny Ellis headed an equaliser for Darlington, but then Lucas Tomlinson brought Gloucester back ahead again. And it was a goal from substitute Tyrone O'Neill, 10 minutes from time that meant Darlington um, were able to enjoy their trip a long, long trip back to the northeast through some probably some pretty awful weather with at least a point in the bag. The game of the day was was Chester against Hereford as well, and Hereford going uh, really well. They had a bit of a blip midweek, didn't they? They lost three nil at Kidderminster Harry's, but they came from behind to win against Chester. Yeah, they did. I mean. I- Probably not a surprise at anybody having a, a, a defeat against Kidderminster Harriers at the moment. I mean, I must say again about the, the crowd at that game at Agbra on Tuesday was, I think, close to 4,000. And obviously Kidderminster riding, um, you know, the wave of this FA Cup success and, and, a, and a pulling in potentially a new legion of fans, which is great news for, for the club. Um, yeah, Hereford um, beaten in that game, but, but rebounding yesterday with a, a really good win at Chester. Uh, Chester led through Harrison Burke. Jared Hotchkiss put uh, Hereford level just on the stroke of half time. Matty Williams put Chester ahead again, but then goals from Kuyar and a Tom Owen Evans penalty in the 81st minute secured the points for them. Steve Watson, the Chester manager, pretty unhappy. Um, well, no, I wouldn't say pretty unhappy. He, he, uh, I think he felt that his team. They made mistakes and he said, we got punished for them. I, I think, you know, there are some younger players in the Chester team at the moment. Um, you know, they're not in any danger of going down, but they're not going anywhere this season either. So he's giving youth a bit of a chance there. Um, and obviously, you know, the, there's going to be some results like this while those players are still learning. I know, Dickie, we mentioned about, uh, Tom mentioned about a late postponement at Hampton. It wasn't quite as late for you, but I know you were you were close to the file coast when it got called off, weren't you? <laughs> Yeah, it was about 25 um, minutes away from Fylde when the, when the game was called off. I mean, we we had um, concerns about it even when we set off. We were driving through some pretty horrible weather on the M6 going north and one by one you could see games getting called off at Fleetwood uh, and other places in the region. And, you, and, and 
AFC Fold seemed pretty confident, but yeah, when the referee arrived, um, he took a look at it, decided it wasn't playable, and the game didn't go ahead. I mean, I think they had a similar situation at Kettering Town in that the it was looking okay first thing in the morning. I think they had a local ref had a look at it, but then the weather came in pretty badly between sort of like 11 o'clock and one o'clock in the afternoon. Again, by the time the match referee got there, he, he was prepared to give it a chance at Kettering, apparently, although judging by the, the the pools of water on the pitch, I, I don't quite know what sport he thought they were going to be playing. Um, but yeah, that game got called off as well. And, you know, a similar tale elsewhere. I mean, it, as usual, when these things happen, you get supporters kicking off a bit about clubs calling things off late. But, you know, it is down to referees ultimately um, as to where the games go ahead. And it's, it, it's very unfortunate. You know, I'm sure clubs don't want to lose matches, don't want to lose income, but it happens. And 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 uh, listeners, we, we've had a bit of banter between us. Obviously, as I think as I think most of you will have worked out now, we've got a couple of the five of us uh, in the north. Dickie's in the Midlands, and me and Tom are in the south. So we do have a bit of north south banter. And and what it just shows is that the, the timing of that storm really it came in in the south and it and 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 it and it battered the south a little bit. But you know, hopefully, not too much damage was done, and a lot of the games were able to be played on the on the Saturday. But the the worst of the of the of the wet and blustery weather hit the north, didn't it? The the following day, and uh, you know, put the kibosh on a, a on a few of those games. But, yeah, there's a, lot, uh, I, there's I a wondered... lot of snow around as well. I mean, I know Bradford got called off because of snow rather than any sort of wind damage or rain. Yeah. So that's it. And and another another little topic of discussion in the NL full time WhatsApp group these last few days has been about XG. We're pretty oh. divided on that uh, expected goals, of course. But I, I wondered if it stood for expected games this week. Uh, you know, <laughs> um, we, could, we could do a whole podcast on XG, couldn't we? And just rant for an hour. I think <laughs> uh, I would. I would. I would be ranting, and and I think Chris would be defending it, and Dickie probably backing <laughs> him up with some good, good stats as well. Um, look, Duke, Luke. Just before we round off, there's a there's a there's quite a good. Uh, full set of fixtures really uh, due particularly in the National League North and the National League itself during the week a couple of games that have really caught my eye a couple of big games in the Midlands Chesterfield against Wrexham stands out doesn't it on Tuesday and Notts County against Halifax as well Uh, and I'll be taking a a close-up look at uh, Andy Hessenthaler's Dover who come to the EBB where the shots fans, uh, uh, I wouldn't say demanding, but after a period of a couple of months of making themselves hard to beat, I think they want to see a little bit more expansive football uh, from all the shot at times. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that one pans out. And uh, um, yeah, it's going to be an intriguing uh, midweek in, in, in both of those divisions. Of course, there was talking of the storm and the timing, you know, that South End were due to host Grimsby, weren't they, on on Friday? And uh, I think there was a few issues there. I think quite a lot of Grimsby supporters had made all or most of their journey down to uh, the southeast by the time that one uh, got called off as well. So um, yeah, we uh, we we live day to day at the moment, don't we? For all reasons, mostly to do with the pandemic, but uh, weather wise as well. I think. What storm are we on now? It's Storm F, whatever. I can't remember what we've been. Frank, Franklin, we're on to now. Oh my goodness me! Where did who who actually decides on these names? 
Uh, you can actually suggest them to the uh, the Met Office, and I think they then choose them. Yeah, so uh, well, I just we hope to put Storm, one forward. I just hope Storm Gertrude doesn't arrive next weekend because I'm looking forward to my trip to the racecourse ground. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Many thanks again to Scott Dole, to Chris, to Tom, and to Robin Dickey. I've been Luke Edwards. Give us a follow on Twitter at NL Full Time. It's the same on Instagram, and give us a subscribe. And a like and leave us a review as well. Uh, You can find us via all good podcasting platforms. Until then, look after yourselves and we'll see you all very soon. 